Thank you, Rabbi Rodich. And a warm thanks on behalf of myself and my colleague here, Kathy Weiss, to Cantor Luck, to Rabbi Singer, and to Rabbi Rodich. Uh, we are always greeted with such a warm welcome here in San Francisco and at Temple Emmanuel. It means a great deal to us. And also on behalf of Kathy, I want to offer um, our specific uh, mazal tov to all of you today who uh, came up for various reasons to celebrate your smachot, your happy occasions. Your joy uh, augments all of our own in the Jewish community. This is a particularly challenging Torah portion, Toldot. And here in the wild west of San Francisco, I think we can appreciate perhaps what's going on by the phrase, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> this is the rivalry between the brothers Jacob and Esau. It is the striving for the blessing and the primacy of our covenant itself with God and with our forefathers. Jacob and Esau have one blessing and one birthright that they have to duke out between the two of them and everything is at stake. Offspring, land, the promise, a nation. And it's resolved this week in our favor, or in the favor of our ancestor Jacob, by nothing less than a downright swindle. Jacob pressures Esau when he's starving, or at least he says he's starving, to give up his birthright. And then under the tutelage of his mother, Jacob proceeds to blatantly deceive his father in order to get the blessing that comes with the birthright. Rightly or wrongly, Esau calls foul later on, and there embarks on the enmity between Esau and Jacob. Because of the way this unfolds, it's hard not to see this as a problematic text. It really is difficult for us to swallow the notion that our forefather, and by by extension, we have received our blessing and our covenant with God, this unique ancient tradition of Torah, by virtue of hard negotiations and duplicity. So what are we supposed to do with that? How do we unlock the mystery of meaning from an action that feels meaningless or actively opposing meaning? We look to our tradition and the rabbis who offer us some keys into this mystery of finding meaning in difficult, difficult texts. One of the ways that many of you have probably heard of and engaged with your teachers, your rabbis here at uh, Temple Emmanuel is known as Midrash. Midrash is a corpus of literature. It is a genre of amplified reading of Torah where the rabbis arrogate to themselves the right to reread Torah and to color it, to celebrate it, to twist it, to distort it, to play with it, to fill out stories that are incomplete, and in so doing, to claim it as their own and to pass on nuggets of meaning and interpretation. But there's another key to Torah that we don't always pay quite as much attention to, even though it's right under our noses, and that is the haftarah, 
Any of you who have had a bar bat mitzvah, can, can someone tell me what a haftarah is? We have a bar mitzvah coming up. Does anyone know what the haftarah is? We read it on Shabbat. Yeah? Well done. All right, we saved the dignity of the synagogue here. That's good. Very well. The haftarah is the reading of scripture after the Torah portion. And it is not from the Torah. It is from the books of the prophets. Now, the right question to ask here is, well, who says which prophet you read for which week of Torah? And the answer is, the rabbis say, because the rabbis understand that they can use the section of the prophets that they choose on no authority but their own as a lens through which to understand the Torah portion. They are very canny, very clever, and very, very directed in the message they want to convey to you and me, and they use the Haftarah as a vehicle to get us there. And so the rabbis use the Haftarah this week no less than any other week to tell us what we're supposed to make of Torah, and in particular, this troubling Torah portion of our forefather Jacob getting his right to a relationship with God by virtue of a swindle. And the rabbis choose the prophet Malachi. Now, I know you all have Malachi memorized, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of a quote or two just to refresh your memory. The entire goal of Malachi's reading here, at the very beginning of the prophet Malachi, it's a short book, is to set up Jacob as a paragon of virtue and Esau as a savage. And so Malachi starts, quote, After all, declares the Lord, Esau is Jacob's brother, but I have accepted Jacob, and I have rejected Esau. I have made his hills a desolation, his territory a home for beasts of the desert. And how does Malachi then interpret Jacob's merit in contrast to Esau's savagery and loss? Well, we bookend our reading now at the end of Malachi, the section of Malachi that the rabbis have told us to read, with the following of Jacob, of Levi, of the Jewish family, of the Israelite family of Jacob, it says, proper rulings were in his mouth, and nothing perverse was ever on his lips. He served me with complete loyalty, for the lips of a priest guard knowledge. They seek teaching, they seek literally Torah, Torah. He is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so you can see quite clearly by this contrast that the rabbis use Malachi to recast entirely the story of Toledot that we are reading in Torah portion. They use the prophets to reverse Torah. And they say, Esau, though duped, deserved it. And Jacob, though aggressive and promoted through deception, merited the good. Well, it's still a bit hard to swallow if you read Torah, so let's go back to Torah. Because it's not enough just to read Malachi. We've got to read Torah, after all. And Torah 
first sets up a stark contrast between these two twins in the following way. The boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a more self-contained person and a homebody. Homebody is literally a dweller in tents. Now, the medieval commentators, also great translators of our tradition, describe this notion of being self-contained as him being incapable of deceit, as achieving a kind of moral perfection. One commentator says he was a non-nomad, contrast to Esau, introspective and concentrated on knowing God and honoring him. But the rabbis, the same ones who give us Malachi to cast aspersions on Esau and to elevate Jacob, say that when it says Jacob was a homebody, that he dwelt in tents, what they actually mean is that he studied in the academy. Jacob is a nice Jewish boy who sits at home and studies rather than running around and hunting. And so we see how the rabbis use Midrash and their choice of the Haftarah to transform Torah. Esau from a dupe to an aggressor, from a provider of food to a savage. And Jacob from a swindler to a righteous person from a homebody to a student in the academies. So why is this important? This matters because who is Jacob? You are Jacob. I am Jacob. We are Jacob. Because what is Jacob's other name? Israel. Us. The rabbis use their bully pulpit, their choice of text, to chart our moral person our people, and they do so for the next two millennia. And they don't do it in a vacuum. The setting of the Jewish people as a studious people is not an intellectual statement. It is a moral statement that our righteousness is rooted in study, in Torah. And they did it, no less, as Reformed Jews, taking Torah understanding it and owning it as their own without apology to make meaning for their lives of their covenant with God. And the wellspring of that study and that ownership of Torah and that compass of knowledge and righteousness is Torah. And the Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, we are the educator of the educators, the trainers of the rabbis who own the Torah for today and enliven it for you and for ourselves. We at the Hebrew Union College are Jacob's tent. We are the academy. We and your rabbis are your partners in charting the moral and intellectual destiny of the Jewish people in partnership with you, without whom none of this has any meaning. And so thank you for being our partners. And here is to 2,000 more years of study together. Shabbat Shalom.